Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a middle school coach, a B-team coach, a varsity coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game. Chris, I don't know if you noticed it right there in my opening read. I, I have a hard time with that word, hosts. I try to get that second S in there. Just be, you know, it's, a, it's a plural host because we are co-hosts. I really felt like I nailed that co-host today. I just, I really felt like, I don't know if you have any feedback for me there or not. I'll, but go, back we, and take a, I'll go back and take a listen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We're not here to talk about my enunciation. Is it enunciation, pronunciation? I don't even know. All I know is that we are here to talk hoops. And we have the head coach at Greenville High School from downtown, beautiful, beautiful downtown Greenville, South Carolina. It's just an absolute pleasure. And I tell you what, if you've never been to Greenville, go see a game at Greenville High School and check out Mike Anderson and the guys at Greenville High School. Mike, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on tonight. And Brian, you are right. Greenville is one of the underrated small cities in America. I will definitely call it a small city, but it is a great little city in the upstate of South Carolina. And I know as a Gamecock guy, I'm going to say this, but go to Greenville, stay in Greenville, go to a Clemson game, go see a game nope. up there, something nope. like that. It's a, that would be a, nope. if you are a, a fan of college football, I would suggest that. I don't know if Coach Anderson's a Clemson guy. I don't know. I don't want to get into those wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I grew up in the Columbia area, actually, but Clemson fan. So it goes oh, back to my dad. Sound, I was going to say you sound like an upstate guy, but okay. <laughs> yeah, well, Coach, it's been great having you all. That will wrap up the podcast there. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, it's uh, – it, you know, Clemson's like – it's a – you know, our listeners will know that. Absolutely special place. I, I, I'm a South Carolina guy, but I did think about transferring to Clemson after I saw my – went to see my buddies up there my first semester. I'm like, wow, this place is really magical. And it really is. It's a, it's a special place. But, uh, Coach, how, how much has Greenville changed in your time there in, in the city? It's, it's going through some changes. I mean, Greenville is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. And, you know, our demographics have changed a ton just in – well, I've been there eight years. This is my ninth year there. And just the downtown, there's so much growth and they're buying up old houses and knocking them down and putting up, you know, half a million dollar houses, you know, left and right. So, you know, the demographics are definitely changing and, you know, it's a fast growing city and it's a good place to be. So that's awesome. Uh, coach, why don't you take us through your basketball resume and how you got to where you are now as the head coach of Greenville for the past eight years? Well, actually, a lot of people don't know this. I'm, you know, I grew up in Lexington and, you know, we were not well off by any means. So like in middle school, I mean, I couldn't even try out for the teams. And so I didn't have a ride home for practice. And then when I moved into high school, my parents, they got on this big kick where they moved to the country and got horses and just the whole nine yards. And of course, I got drunk, drug along through that. So I went to Gilbert and it was a small school and I, I played soccer growing up. And when I got to Gilbert back then, they didn't have a soccer team. So I was in ninth grade and I was pretty tall and I figured, you know, Hey, I need something to do. So I'm going to try basketball and ends up, I ended up being not too shabby. So 
you know, went from Gilbert High School to Anderson College. It was Anderson College back then. Now it's Anderson University and played there all four years and, and had a, a good career and made a lot of lifelong friends and, you know, wasn't sure what direction I wanted to get into. But from there, got my PE certification and got into education and I coached JV basketball at Wahala was my first job. So I think I was there about six years and then I came to Greenville um, to jail man as an assistant. I did a little bit of JV there and was varsity assistant and was there for six years and got the head job at Greenville after that. So kind of going to Anderson University is what brought me to the upstate and, you know, just kind of fell in love with this area and just wanted to kind of stay up this way to, to raise my family. I was just going to say that for those of you not familiar with South Carolina, you just got an education in upstate geography there <laughs> with Wahala, J.L. Mann, Anderson, and Greenville. That is all out there in uh, the upstate of South Carolina. The bustling metropolis that is Wahala. But, yeah, Coach, I'm going to start there. I'm always interested. I ask this question about every third or fourth episode for high school coaches that get into it, that start at either a, a B-team level or a JV level. What, what, what was it about that experience as a JV coach that said that had you saying, hey, I, I love this, I want to keep doing this and, and pursuing head jobs? Well, you know, a lot of times when, you know, I, I guess just for me when I was younger, you know, a lot of us think we know everything. So it's kind of good to have your own program and be able to do your own thing, even if it is a, a JV team or whatever, but you get that head coaching experience and you can learn from your mistakes and, you know, kind of grow through what was good, what was bad, and just kind of try to get better and improve. So I'm, all, I'm a real big advocate of guys coaching at the lower level teams and trying to give them some freedom and you know help them along the way with some assistance we've had since I've been a head coach to just try to you know offer some growth and some support and you know for guys that are wanting to make that change or make that jump that is very true uh, everyone needs to coach in their in their own gym with nine kids and uh, you know, nobody's watching. And, you know, I started off as a freshman coach, kind of. I had been at the University of South Carolina as video coordinator. So I saw SEC basketball, and then I became a freshman coach or B-team coach, as you would call it. And, Brian, I don't know if I've ever said this on the air. I remember the first time the coach showed me we, we practiced not even at the school, at like a community center a couple blocks from the school. And I said to the head coach, I go, is there a clock that I can get? And he goes, Buy a stopwatch. I was like, what do you mean by a stopwatch? I'm used to you know, practicing in the SEC. You got a clock. Yeah, you got a clock. Where are the managers at? Yeah, where's the ball rack? Where, where's, the, yeah, where's the team meeting room? What's going on here? So it's the one-man show when you're at that B-team, freshman JV level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Practicing at a church or the city rec or, you know, wherever you can squeeze in. Sometimes you only get an hour or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Bingo might be coming in later that night. <laughs> but it's, it's such a neat thing. I, I, Chris, I'm going to jump in before you ask your question. It's such a neat thing, really, because at least at Ridgeview, we have a B team, we have a JV, and have a varsity. Lots of those kids that play B team and lots of those kids that play JV don't get a chance to go on and play varsity. And so it's just providing experiences for those kids that, with good coaches like yourself that, become, that are moving on and aspire to be head varsity coaches that are just – they're just waiting. So it's just they're getting good coaching and getting good experience. And it's just – I love it when I see those kids that, that, you know, that weren't quite good enough to make a varsity team at Ridgeview. They still had the time of their lives, you know, just running around with with me and uh, anyway just it just it just seems really special 
Yeah, when, when I first got the job at Greenville, well, we call it C team up here is our ninth grade team, which is, you know, in Columbia area is their B team. So we didn't have a C team when I first got the job at Greenville. And it was, you know, kind of a mess I inherited. So that was one of the things that I wanted to, to get started. And the first year that we had one, we had six guys on the team. And, and one of them was pretty large. So our coach – Halfway through those six-minute JV quarters, he, he'd take a timeout every time so they could get a rest, get a sub, and, you know. But those guys, I mean, it was – they had a blast. So, and a couple of them ended up playing varsity for us down the line, and, and one of them was a really good player for us. So, you never know, you know, sometimes at age, kids that get cut in middle school, you know, just haven't hit that growth spurt yet or haven't had the success. They, you know, they start working at it really hard and they blossom and, you know, you'll find a gym in there every once in a while. That's so true. Coach, what do you, and I'm sure you've seen this change from your time playing high school basketball and just sort of the background you told us about, I, I'm, I can assume what your parents were like when you were playing high school sports. What do you see the role of parents you know, in in being a parent of a high school player nowadays? And maybe how has that changed over time? Well, I I think just a change in the time, the, I think the kids are the same. The The biggest change in my – this is my 20, 21st year, so the biggest change that I've seen has been from the parents. When, when I was younger and when I first started coaching, if a kid had an issue or got in trouble or, or did something that he needed to be held accountable for, the parents would come and get upset with the kid. And nowadays there's more and more parents that if their kid gets in trouble, they get upset with the teacher or the coach. And that, that's been the biggest thing that I've seen just in my time. And, you know, we've been pretty fortunate and we try to have an open line of communication, but, you know, it is something that is changing with the time and, you know, can be difficult. How do you deal with that? Well, first thing we do is at our parent meeting at the beginning of the year, we, we lay forth our expectations and we have the players and the parents in there and all of our coaching staff. And, and our rule is if there's an issue, we can, we'll set up a meeting and, but the player is going to be in that meeting. So that solves a lot of it. Cause sometimes, you know, a kid will be upset from practice. You know, we might've got on him or he had a rough practice and, you know, obviously we, we say if we're getting on you, that's a good thing. But they'll go home and vent sometimes, and sometimes that what really happened will not get portrayed. And, you know, I just – now that I'm a, a father and, and have two little girls, you know, I, I can see from the parents' perspective, hey, that didn't happen to my kid, you know what I mean? And I got to kind of rein myself back as well. But that just being our rule and making that up front with, hey, we can have a meeting if there's an issue. And most of the time it's about playing time. And the kid's going to be in there, the parent's going to be in there, and our whole coaching staff for that team. So that has really solved most of the issues because those things tend to get worked out at home before they ever get to us because, you know, we get in that meeting and the, the kid is – caught in a tough spot sometimes and the parents seem to backtrack and you know and again not saying that us as coaches don't make mistakes because you know I try to tell our parents and everything hey I'm gonna make a lot of mistakes and 
I'm going to try to learn from them and not make the same mistake twice. And as our coaches, we try to hold each other accountable just as we do, you know, the players and, and none of us are perfect. I think that's such a neat way to do it. And that's one of those things that as coaches listen to this podcast here, coach, that's going to be very, very helpful because we had our own way of doing it at Ridgeview. I know Chris has got his own way of doing it up there at Saddlebrook. And that's a great way to do it. Just it points to ownership. It points to honesty and it points to just really even calmed emotions. By the time you get to that meeting, there's no hellfire and brimstone anymore. It's like, okay, what's really true here? And you're right. Like coaches make mistakes. Parents make mistakes. Kids make mistakes. Let's own them, clean it up and let's move on. I think that's such a great way to do it. I really like that. Well, Coach, you know, the name of the podcast is The Greatest Games Podcast. So at this point in time, we'd love to hear about your greatest game. Take us into the gym. Let's feel the sweat or let's hear the sounds or whatever we want to hear about your greatest game. Well, when I took over the job at Greenville High, the in 2006, 7, and 8, they had been to the Upper State Championship game three years in a row and won one state championship. And then I took over in 2013. So the years between 2010 and 12, they were just not very good seasons, you know, for Greenville High standards in, in basketball. I think they had won 11 games total in two combined seasons before I took over. So it was it was a mess, so to speak. And my first year, we went 12 and 12. And my second year, we were picked to be fifth in our league of six teams and, you know, only the top four made the playoffs. So that second year we ended up going 21 and one. And that, that was the season that takes us to, you know, the game that I'm going to refer to when we went down to Dreer and played against coach DeBatista's team. Great coach, great guy. That season we were, we were very small guys had not had a lot of success coming up, but they were doing everything I'd asked them to do. I mean, they, they were tough as nails and just fun to coach. I mean, we, I caught a lot of, of flack in the community because I mean, we were, we were winning games in the forties. We weren't holding the ball, but it was just tough for us to score. And, you know, I was getting a lot of flack about, Hey, don't go to Greenville or, you know, they're going to take the air out of the ball. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to, we don't have the horses to run up and down. If we play a game in the seventies, we're going to get beat 25. So we were just tough and, and grinded it out. And like I said, we weren't, we weren't projected to make the playoffs and, and we got in there as a three seed from our conference and we had to go on the road to Seneca and they were, they were loaded. So we, we got by them, played really great. We were just getting, getting on a roll, got hot at the right time. And then Camden, was a four seed and they had upset Chester, the one seed. So second round, we're the three, we're hosting a home home playoff game in the second round as a three seed. Wow. And Camden, they were they were very good. I mean, you know that Columbia region that they were in with, you know, Drear, AC Floor, that whole crowd, which y'all have been in some. I mean, that whole conference is just stacked. So we had twelve points at halftime. We were down twenty two to twelve. And we came out and we just absolutely played some lockdown defense the second half. And, and we won a close game at the end. So, you know, the school, the town, it, it's just buzzing, going crazy. The principal that hired me there, um, Mr. Lucas, he he chartered three buses for us. So we're going down to Dreer when they had Tevin Mack, you know, played at Texas, was at Alabama, finished up at Clemson this past year. I mean – 
kid can score. I mean, just absolutely can score. So we go down there, third round. Well, we bring three busload, charter buses of students. They sold tickets. Well, you know, all the players during warm-ups, they're looking and wondering, where are they at? Where are they at? Somehow they got tied up in traffic or took a wrong turn or something. So, I mean, it's ha- it's about two minutes left in the first quarter. And they come running in, and I'm talking about they, they couldn't have – you couldn't have scripted it better when they came running in. They were shooting free throws on the other end, people running all on the floor, just, I mean, going crazy. When they came busted in, I mean, about 150 kids. <laughs> so the refs don't see it. And Debo, he sees it, and he's yelling and, you know, trying to get the refs' attention because there's people just running. I mean, it's just pandemonium. <laughs> and we're talking, you know, first quarter still. And so I'm trying to get them off the court before the refs see them, and I'm yelling at kids, and, hey, get off the court, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, it's, we're winning and in control for most of the game. And, was, you know, seven, eight, nine points here or there. And, you know, we did some stuff, but we felt like gave them some trouble. And there's about two minutes left. And Tevin Mack just decides that he's not losing, you know, and it's his senior year. And, like I said, he's a heck of a player. Put it in perspective for those that might not know, I've been in at Greenville eight years, and we haven't given up a 30-point game at in eight years but once, and it was to Tevin Mack. And then this past year, the Gortman kid from Keenan is just a sophomore. He had 30. So I, two 30-point games in eight years, and those are two phenomenal players and special scores. But to get back to the game, Tevin just starts to try to take over. And, and we know that, hey, we don't have to worry about the other guys right now. We, we got to double him. We got to do whatever we got to do. Well, luckily, one of their other guys, you know, shot just a, a terrible three. I mean, a terrible three. It wasn't even close. Well, we get down, and it's back and forth. They end up – well, we've got the ball, and we, I felt like obviously we won the game but to skip ahead, but we had the ball, felt like our kid was about to get fouled, and they just shoved him out of bounds. So I'm going berserk, trying not to get a technical, and, you know, they get the ball, they score. So it's the game should have been over, but, you know, we could have definitely been stronger with the ball as well, and, you know, we made some mistakes as well. And like I said, they were a, they were a heck of a team. They were number two in the, in the state at the time and you know here we were a team not even projected to to make the playoffs but we go down they get we miss a free throw they come back so they get three chances on the last possession we're up by one miss matt gets it miss and he gets a rebound on the final one shoots it and i think it's after the buzzer but obviously I was concerned with some of those – the calls late in the game, so I thought they were going to count it. So the ball goes in, and I think it's after the buzzer. Both student sections rush the floor. Drear kids, they come running on the floor thinking they've won the game. Our kids come running on the floor thinking they won the game. And the refs waved it off, you know, and there was a perfect picture in the newspaper that, showed the scoreboard in the back, 48-47, and the ball was still in his hand when it, the clock read zero. So the refs got the call right, even though Batista will still tell you they got it wrong. 
Yeah, Coach, I'm just reading through the article here. Um, you and Coach DiBattista definitely had uh, dis despair, uh, uh, disagreement in the viewpoint of the final shot, clearly. Uh, <laughs> but, Brian, before I get to my question with Coach, I do want to say, you know, we always talk about the history we make on this show. This is the first time we've talked about traffic on the Greatest Games podcast. I think, I think and you're right. And I, I think it's, part. it's the only time that traffic in Columbia has ever been an issue for anything. So that's, <laughs> that's historic, too. And hopefully my sarcasm comes through loud and clear. But coach, well, if, I, if I could go back and script it, like I said, they couldn't have come in at a better time. I mean, it was, it was, it was just perfect when they came in. And, and needless to say, they brought the energy and the Dreer student section. They were – shocked and very quiet for the next several minutes coach i want you to, to talk about this you quoted in the article here you said uh um where is it i can't find it now we're just happy to be still alive we expect the same thing no that's not it when you have kids that don't care about who gets the points it makes it easy we have six or seven guys that might lead us to scoring on any given night it makes it hard for the other teams to scout us i'm looking here at the at the box score and you had eight, eight, six, six, five, four, three, and three, and two is your score line. That's incredible to win a state playoff game with two guys with eight, two guys with six, and then a bunch of guys that maybe just had some putbacks or something. Just talk about that, about that group of guys and, and how they could be successful that way. Whereas, whereas Dreer, who had been successful, had Tevin Mack, who scored 33. Yeah, um, like I said, to win a third-round playoff game on the road and, and nobody scores double digits, I mean, it's just – it's crazy. If, if you'd have told me that before the game, I, I would have lost a lot of money on that. But, like I said, they were just a tough group, and we were scrappy, and I just cannot emphasize how, how tough that group was. I mean, they were guys that, you know, some had been cut before and – like I said, they bought in and they battled for each other and they just did what we asked them to do. They they weren't these guys that had colleges looking at them or had a lot of success here or there or people, you know, kissing their, their tail. They, they had not had success. They got a little taste of it and they were going to run through the wall and do whatever we needed to do to win, no matter how ugly it, it could be. But we knew if we just competed and, and we rebounded and played defense and we were going to hang around long enough to, to maybe give ourselves a chance. And that's what happened that night. Well, play defense. You did the stat line for Dreer was, you mentioned it earlier, Tevin Mack with 33 and no one else on that Dreer team had more than four, uh, which is an incredible, incredible stat line. But coach, I want you to tell our listeners, you know, South Carolina has got a, uh, probably a nationwide reputation for being a football state, and, and rightly so. We have very good football here in South Carolina. But the basketball in South Carolina has just for the last 10 to 12, even 15 years, just gotten unbelievable. And it was really good before that too. But tell us more about that atmosphere. Like you said, three busloads of kids from Greenville coming down. Dreer, that's a big-time gymnasium. I was at this game now that you've you gone through the story. I'm at my, job, my memory's jogged. I was here for that game. It's just incredible. So, But tell, tell our listeners about playoff basketball and the late rounds in South Carolina. Oh, I mean, it was it's what you dream of as a player. I mean, that's the kind of game you want to play in on a Friday night or a playoff game or, you know, whatever. You're you're in the backyard when you're a little kid thinking of, all right, free throw to win the game or, you know, five seconds left. I mean, 
just a packed gym. Drear student section was going bananas. Our fans were just packed on our side. They're going back and forth. And again, it's just all in good fun and just the kind of game you want to be a part of. I mean, it was just a special atmosphere. You know, obviously every game's not like that, but when you get into those later playoff rounds here in South Carolina, especially, I mean, packed gyms, people traveling from all over, people love their football here in South Carolina, that's for sure, but basketball is a close second, and I think they're closing the gap every year. There's two seasons in South Carolina, Coach. Football season and spring football season. That's what they like to say. Oh, boy. (laughs) Come on, you knew I had one, Brian. You knew I had something. (laughs) All right, Coach, we'd like – well, go ahead. Well, it's funny, like, just talking about the whole state. Like, it goes in cycles. I mean, I can remember when I was younger, Columbia basketball, you had Jermaine O'Neal and Bud Johnson, Eau Claire, and Coach George Glimp and all them. And then there was a – big amount of time there were the Greenville area the upstate was just loaded and it kind of goes in ebbs and flows and you know it wasn't too long ago when the final four teams in 3A upper state were all from Greenville and then probably the past six or seven years it's kind of shifted back towards Columbia so you know we laugh and joke of not laugh but you know I was I was wanting to get the opportunity to play Ridgeview, you know, the past couple of years, just to see how close we were. I mean, they've been the standard the past, you know, several years. And it's like, man, I just want to play them just to know where we are. So, you know, South Carolina basketball has been very good. And, you know, it just shifts from around the state. Sometimes it's the upstate, sometimes it's Columbia, and it kind of goes back and forth. And there's a lot of good and, and healthy rivalries within that. Yes, the, the the cyclical thing is definitely true. Like you said, uh, when you were in high school, and then even into the mid '90s, you had, you had BJ and and guys like that in the Midlands as well. So, uh, but coach, we'd like to end on a on a fun final question here. If I asked the kid that played for you, that played freshman ball for you or B team ball for you at Walhalla all those years ago, and I asked the kid who played for you this year at Greenville, when they do their Coach Anderson impression, which they all have, <laughs> they all have a Coach Anderson, what is the one thing they would find themselves repeating that you say all the time? Probably Godzilla. So <laughs> me being older and I'm trying not to cuss, I, I will drop a Godzilla in a second <laughs> so I don't say a bad word. <laughs> So definitely they'll both know that. But the other one is, you know, I kind of put my head down and just rub my head when something just happens that I can't believe. I try to – I'm an emotional guy, so I'm I'm trying to do better and keeping my mouth shut when I need to. (laughs) Now, are there different inflections to the Godzilla? Is there like a disappointed, like a Godzilla, and then a Godzilla? (laughs) There's there's definitely some under my breath, and there's some to the bench. And then there's – every once in a while there'll be one – across the court to <laughs> one of our players and maybe even sometimes a referee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you what, we, we've had book ideas come out of this podcast. I think we've had <laughs> spinoff podcast ideas. Now we have a t-shirt idea. And I'll tell you what, coach, I want you to make the t-shirt. I do not want your wrestling coach, Nick Jones, to listen to this and take your idea. I want you to take that t-shirt idea. You sell it. You benefit your program. Don't you dare let Nick Jones take that idea. All right. Basketball, Godzilla. I like it. 
Well, awesome. I will have to give credit to one of my best friends. He's the head coach at Malden. We were college teammates together at Anderson, and he's from he's from Sumter, Adam McLean, and I stole that from him. So people think I'm a little wild and, you know, but good thing about me being friends with him is I'm the calm one. So <laughs> if you can imagine that, you know, I, I had to steal that one from him, and he is he makes me look like a saint. Well, he, uh, I tell you what, you talk about Adam McLean. I'm a Sumter boy. I grew up watching him play some basketball and baseball. He's a heck of an athlete, so you you, you got a good one there too. But, oh, coach, yeah. I, yeah, I tell you what. He could he could kill a baseball. That's right. And, that's right. And would dunk on you in a second. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Coach, what a, an incredible story, incredible journey. And uh, can't thank you enough for, for coming on the Greatest Games podcast here. This has been real extraordinarily entertaining. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you guys having him. If you see D. Batista around, just remind him of that game. He he did get revenge when he was at Westwood a couple of years later, but we, we won't talk too much about that. That's right. Well, you know what? We might just have to do a uh, a combo podcast, maybe bring both of y'all guys on to talk about that game, but maybe both of those games. That might be kind of fun to do in the future. But uh, anyway, let's go ahead and put a button on this show here. So for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.